I have two questions for you. In each of the questions, respond in a scale of 1 to 10, 1 being terrible and 10 being fantastic. Question number 1. How are things between you and God? In other words, what is your standing with God? Question number 2. Again, on a scale of 1 to 10, what is Jesus standing with God the Father? <laughs> Not just 10, more like 1,000, right? Well, if you answered question 1 with a low number, then that means you are basing your standing with God on your righteousness. But your righteousness will never, ever get you close to God. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, But we all are like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Before an infinitely holy and righteous God, our so-called righteousness is nothing but an insult to God. God never intended our standing with him to be based on our righteousness, but his righteousness. That's why for a person who is in Christ by God's grace, they have the same 1,000% great standing with God the Father as Jesus has. Now, last time on Daily in Christ, we presented the first half of a message I recently preached at my home church, called Justified Forever. In that part, we looked in Zechariah chapter 3 at the dismal case of Joshua the high priest, seen in a vision clothed in filthy garments with Satan, the accuser, standing at his right hand to oppose him. Then the Lord had his filthy garments taken away, and God clothed him with rich robes. This is a beautiful picture of how God removes our filthiness and sin and clothes us in his righteousness. Then the vision goes on with the Lord prophesying of a coming branch, Jesus the Messiah, and he would remove our iniquity in one day. Speaking of the day of Christ's crucifixion, when he cried at the cross, it is finished. Then in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 6, we saw the Lord identified as the Lord our righteousness. Note that. God is our righteousness, not our own pitiful and vain attempts at being righteous. And then in Jeremiah 33, verse 16, the Lord said, And this is the name by which she will be called, the Lord our righteousness, meaning that God's people are identified by the Lord's righteousness and not their own. Finally, we saw how Jeremiah saw imminent and dreadful judgment coming on Jerusalem with the invasion of the holy city by the Babylonians because of the extreme wickedness of the people of Judah. And that's where we pick it up today in part two of Justified Forever. In the midst of man's worst... I mean, think about sin at such a level that you would sacrifice your own child in the fire? What kind of demonic twisting is that? What kind of wretchedness of psychology would produce that kind of effect? It was bad. Sin was black. The condition was black. And in the midst of all of the unrighteousness and failure 
not just of heathen nations, but of the people of God, even the leaders of God. God speaks. And this is what he says in Jeremiah 23, beginning in verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. This is speaking of the Savior. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell in safety. Now this is his name, the name of God, by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. Now, do you notice that it didn't say the Lord is righteousness? That's true. It said the Lord, our righteousness. And what difference does that make? Our is the possessive pronoun, right? And so the name by which the Lord is identified here is the Lord, our righteousness. Go ahead, put your name in there. The Lord, my righteousness. In the midst of the worst of man, we see that the Lord is revealed as our righteousness. You know, it's one thing for another person to be righteous and you're not. But it's another thing when by virtue of that person's righteousness, you become righteous. Now, no person can do that, human being, except one who is God. That's God-sized. And when it says the Lord our righteousness, I mentioned this in our retreat, that's the Holy Lord is Jehovah. It means I am. God says, I am righteousness. You looking for righteousness, don't look for it within yourself, not even within your pastor. God says, I am righteousness. The revelation is that the Lord is your righteousness. The revelation is He is our righteousness. Will that righteousness ever fail? Will it ever dim? Will it ever flicker? No. That righteousness is as infinite as the greatness and goodness and holiness of God. It will not fade, flicker, or fail. The Lord, our righteousness. Now turn to Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 16. The thought is developed in an even more significant way. And remember, this is at a time of gloom and doom. Right in these verses, on the one hand, Jeremiah in the natural is looking and he sees the Babylonians swarming like cockroaches all over the holy city. They're laying the siege ramps and the warriors are swarming up over, kind of like a whole bunch of bugs just coming over the wall. And they're desecrating the holy city and they're heading for the temple and that's what he sees in the natural. In the midst of hell on earth, God speaks the most amazing things. Right here in Jeremiah 33, God reveals the new covenant. Do you know that Jesus shed his blood to institute that new covenant? 
That's the new covenant of grace. That's the new covenant of righteousness from God by faith in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. In the midst of the worst, God is saying, this is what I will do. And look at this in Jeremiah 33, verse 16. Actually, let's start in verse 15. It sounds similar to the verses we just saw back in chapter 26. In those days and at that time, I will cause. Do you see that? I just saw that for the first time. God says, I will. I will. I will. I will. The archangel Lucifer, in his fall, and this is depicted in Jeremiah 14, had these five deadly I wills, the last of which was, I will make myself like the Most High. And when you look at the epicenter of your sin, right down deep, what it really is, is I will make myself like the Most High. That's a lie from the pit of hell. And up against that satanic lie is the new covenant where God says, I will. I will. I will give them a new heart. I will clean them. I will call them my people. No longer will they be taught, will they teach one another. They will all know me. The I will of God removes any kind of hindrance. You see, we get all caught up with trying really hard for God, struggling and striving. And Okay, Lord, I will do this. I will try harder. I won't do this. I, I will do this. I'll, I'll pray more. I'll reach more. I will be a more sensitive person. I will try to be more like Jesus. That's all the echoes of hell. Your I wills are not worth a hill of beans. God's I will is worth everything. Yes. And God says there in verse 15, in those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. This is the intervention of God. You know, Chet's been talking from and preaching from Ephesians chapter 2. And um, for those who are new, this is our pastor, Chester Marshall. And his wife is our worship leader, Sandy. They're a precious couple. And uh, I'm thankful for this opportunity to speak this morning. Uh, the Lord is raising up those who can uh, work as a team. And I appreciate that. Um, and I appreciate a pastor who, who takes the risk. <laughs> you know, uh, so I'm very thankful for that. But the Lord says, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will dwell in safety. And this is the name by which she will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. Do you see it? Something was added this time around. This is the name by which she will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. And this idea of she throughout the Bible, the relationship between God and his people is like between a husband and a wife. And he says, my people, my wife, she has a new name. And that new name is identified with the righteousness of God. 
The Lord our righteousness. She will be known by this name. Do you see it? She will be known by this name. She will be called by this name. You know, Christians go around calling themselves things that God doesn't call them anymore. For instance, I hear people say, I'm such a sinner. You know, nowhere in the Bible is a Christian, one in Christ, called a sinner. That's right. Find me one, I'll pay you $100. And I can already think of a couple already and read them in context. What does God call His people? Saints. What does saint mean? Holy one. Oh, well, I'm not that holy. How dare you say you are not what God calls you? And remember that God's voice, His calling, achieves something that's significant. Paul is talking to the sinning, messed up Corinthians who are sinning horribly, and he says, called saints. He does. He says, you were washed, you were justified, you were cleansed. And he says, stop doing that stuff. you got things weird in your head. You're identifying with your sin. And see, what the difference is, is that when God redeems us, we're no longer identified with our sin. We're identified with our Savior. I have to move on very quickly. Go over to Romans chapter 1. And I, can only, I only have a little bit of time to touch into this, and I need to spend a few minutes diving into the key point. Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Everybody knows verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, that means the ability of God, for the salvation of everyone who believes. That includes you. I love the word everyone and anyone in the Bible, because it includes little old me. Now, verse 17, this is known as the birth verse of the Reformation. This verse, when Martin Luther, the reformer, caught a glimpse of the reality of it, it he was born again. Yeah, he was this diligent monk, and, and he was born again. And, and the whole fire of the Reformation blazed from this. For in the gospel, verse 17, the righteousness of God. Does that sound familiar? The Lord our righteousness. The righteousness of God is revealed. Now, when the Bible talks about revealing, what it means is there's something that has been hidden and covered over that's now brought out into the light. The righteousness of God is revealed. And the Greek word for righteousness means a a declared righteousness, a a, uh, considering of righteous. A person is righteous not because of themselves, They're righteous because God, who is infinitely righteous, declares them righteous, considers them righteous. That's what it is. The righteousness of God. The righteousness of the Lord, our righteousness. And it says, from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. It's received by faith. Now, whenever... We talk about needing faith for something. What that implies is reliance upon someone or someone else. Y'all sat in your chairs today because you had faith they would hold you up, right? 
You didn't have to think about it. You hoped that Chet and Bill and everyone else that's involved with the logistics here wouldn't have defective chairs. But what if I told you a few of these are defective? You'd probably, you know, check it. You wouldn't have as much faith. Faith is dependence upon someone else. Christian faith is dependence upon Christ. It's dependence upon the certainty of God's word and what God's word says, even though everything else is screaming the opposite way. And it says that the just will live by faith, from faith to faith. It's just like walking, right? When you walk, it's left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot. And so what it is, is from faith to faith, from faith to faith. The whole thing is faith. And in Romans 4 verse 16, it says that it is a faith that it might be according to grace. That it might be guaranteed to all the heirs. So in the gospel, the righteousness of God, not your righteousness, is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. That right there is the heart of the gospel. If you don't have that right, you've got a wrong gospel. Do you know that in all the world, there are only two gospels? The true gospel, which is this one right here, righteousness from God, by faith, from faith to faith. And then all of the other religions and isms of the world are the other gospel, which take 117 and invert it. And that gospel says this, for in this gospel, the righteousness of man is revealed. From works to works, as it is written, the just shall live by works. And if you examine every single false religion and false philosophy and false ideology at its core is that satanic false gospel. Only embedded in the epicenter of the real gospel is this verse 17 that says, for in this gospel, the true gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Let me ask you a question. With the real gospel, who gets the glory? God. In the false gospel, who gets the glory? Man. Man. Right there, we know something's amiss in the problem. And something's right in the gospel. Now, there's a second revelation, and it's here in verse 18. And it says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. What is it about a good God What is it that would evoke the wrath of a good God? Obviously, something that attacks goodness. Something that is an invasion, a destruction of all that is right and good and holy. And ultimately, when there's wrong that's committed, it's done, it's an attack upon God Himself and His goodness. And so the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Ungodliness is the Hebrew word asibia. And that's two root words. Sibia means reverence. To, to reverence God, to worship God. That's what we were doing here this morning, reverencing Him. When you put the, the letter ah in front of a word, it means not or no. So asibia means no reverence. 
That's really the heart of ungodliness. Ungodliness, it means the ungod experience. No God. No God. And so the way this is manifested is all the way from the person who goes, well, I don't know if God exists. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't, or maybe he's a she, or I don't know. All the way on up to the Richard Dawkins, the fire-breathing atheist, who says, there is no God, and you're out of your mind and believe in it. That's ungodliness. And in that definition, many fall into that. I'm trying to reach somebody for Christ in my workplace, and off work hours, obviously. And, you know, trying to just awaken him to God. And, and the sense is, you know, I said, hey, let's, you know, read through the Gospel of John. And he hasn't really done it yet. What's happening? He's asleep. Ungodliness is part of the problem. And so from this verse, verse 18, all the way through to chapter 3, verse 20, it says that there, there's nothing except wrong in the whole human race. Flip over to Romans 3, verse 10. It says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. You might say, Mark, wait a minute. Are you saying there's nobody that seeks God? There's nobody who does good? I'm not the one who's saying it. God is saying it. And here's what he's saying. Even in our highest, most noble acts that we think we're doing for God is a mixture of good and evil. There's a mixture. The rich young ruler came running up to Jesus one day and he said, got down on his knees and said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord stops him and says, why do you call me good? There is none good but God. And the problem wasn't that Jesus was questioning his goodness as God. He was challenging the thinking of the young man that thought he could go to any man and find goodness. Goodness comes from God alone. And in the final analysis, in the light of the holiness of God, there's none righteous, none who seek after God. No one understands. They've all together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good. And then it just gets worse. And then you get to verse 19. It says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world, all the world may become guilty before God. That's the assessment of the human race. I don't care if it's somebody who's extremely a great humanitarian like a Mother Teresa or a Mohammed Gandhi or whoever. In the final analysis, none are righteous before God. And it would be bad if it stopped right there. But look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God. Does this sound, is there a theme, right? It's, it's going through the Bible. The Lord our righteousness. The righteousness of God apart from the law. Now the law is essentially do good, get good, do bad, get bad. It's basically your due. It emphasizes your righteousness. The law was never meant to make people good. It was meant to expose the sinfulness of the sinner without Christ. And it does a really good job of it. That's what Romans 7 is all about. 
The righteousness of God, the Lord our righteousness, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the law itself testifies to this kind of righteousness. Even the righteousness, look at it, of God. God's righteousness. How do I receive this? Through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you know what it means to sin and fall short of the glory of God? Man in his arrogance thinks he can really get close to God based on what he does. This is very much analogous to taking the world's best broad jumper. You know what the broad jump, the running broad jump, where you run, right, and then you jump. Okay, I looked it up this morning. The world's record is 29 feet. That's impressive. That's like from me to Nathan right over there, you know, maybe a little bit further. That's awesome. Okay, now let's say I, I took that guy. I said, okay, I want to see if you can do this. Okay, we're going to go to the shores of Malibu in California. Okay, I want you to stand right here on the shore. That's it. Now I want you to, okay, you can run as far back as you want. I want you to jump, and I want you to jump from Malibu to Tokyo. Do you think he can do it? Well, he might hit 30 feet. He falls catastrophically short. This is what the Bible says. There's none righteous. They fall catastrophically far short. Why? Because you think you can get connected with God with your own goodness? You're kidding. No. Only the righteousness of God brings us into relationship with Him through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace. We have a right standing with God that's given freely because of the grace of God. And the grace of God is the gift of the Father in love to you, in totally accepting you, totally loving you, totally blessing you, not because you're so good and earned it, but because He is that good and gave it. Let me say it again. The grace of God is the gift of God from the heart of the Father in totally accepting you, totally blessing you, totally forgiving you, not because you are so good and earned it, but because He is that good and gives it. If, you, if someone gives you a gift, do you go, oh, let, let me see if I can pay for that? that? That would be an insult. The righteousness of God is received as a gift. You could never pay enough. It's free to you and expensive to God. It's the gift of God being justified freely through His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness that He might be just and the justifier of the one who is faith in Jesus. I'm, I'm with the preacher's dilemma right now and I'm running out of time. Except to say that if you go to my website, dailyinchrist.org, I have a, a, 
sub-series called The Just Shall Live by Faith. And within that, I go through these verses and I unpack it a lot more. It's free. You can download it and listen to it there. There's just so much that's right here. I want you to understand that God accomplished every point. Redemption means a purchase. It's a purchase of a ransom. You know when you have someone who's kidnapped and the kidnappers demand a ransom? Freeing you from the dominion of sin, self, Satan, and the world. And more than that, redemption has the other side of being made God's own. That's why Paul could say to the sinning Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That's the redemption that we got. Propitiation by His blood. Propitiation means a payment to satisfy wrath. So the wrath is completely satisfied. The claim of justice is satisfied by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. The cross is like a lightning rod of love and justice. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Why did He use such a radical remedy? Because the problem was that bad. And in the cross, love and justice kiss. And justice is satisfied. Well, Mark, that sounds like a license for sin. Read your Bible. It's right there. This is the seedbed of the victorious life. This is the secret of overcoming sin. This isn't a license to sin. This demonstrates freedom from sin. Justified freely by His grace through the redemption. Do you see right in the middle of verse 5? To demonstrate His righteousness. His righteousness. And then it says in verse 26 again. To demonstrate at the present time His righteousness. The Lord our righteousness. That He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Let me explain this. Just and justifier. At the very beginning I said, what's your standing before God like? Scale of 1 to 10. And he raised both of his hands up like this. 10. Why did you say that? Mark, you've been explaining it in God's eyes. He doesn't see me. He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. I am in Christ. And the relationship and the righteousness that, that is Christ has given to me at the cross. As I have made the exchange, confessed myself a sinner in need of God's righteousness, He gives me that righteousness as a gift. So my standing before Him is a 10, just like it is for His Son. That's exactly right. It, and it's not just not guilty. Some people have taken justification and said it's just as if you, you hadn't sinned. That's not enough. What, what justification does? Okay, so you have just. Jesus has this perfect standing with God the Father. He always obeys the Father perfectly from the heart. He's just. And He's also, you know, we could end it right there and that's it. We're done. No, He's also the justifier. Now the justifier is the one who makes another just, who brings them into a place where God the Father receives them as having the same justness as the one who's justice. There's only one person who can do that. That's Jesus. Amen. 
People say, how dare you be so arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only one who's fully Son of God and Son of Man. And He did it. And He got it done. He said, it is finished. And that is your relationship with God. Do you know that'll get rid of the roller coaster? Because as you take these verses right here and you say, thus saith the Lord. How was the accusation of Satan stopped to Joshua the high priest? The Lord says, the Lord says, the Lord rebuke you. This is the testimony of the record. And this is what I find myself saying and I want to end with this. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31 says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God be for us, who is against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is He who condemns? Not the devil, not you, not your past. The Father has entrusted all judgment to one, the Son. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, who furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who makes intercession for us. The one who deserves to be the prosecuting attorney against you flips to the other side and says, I stand in defense. This is how you're saved. And if there's anyone here, and I were to ask the question, upon what basis do you think you would die and go to heaven? If you think for a moment that it's your righteousness, you will fail. But Jesus didn't fail. And if you say, yes, I believe He did it at the cross. He lived the perfect life. It's not my righteousness. It's His righteousness. And Father, I receive Your heart of love and Your righteousness and Your forgiveness by faith. And I say thank You. It's so simple. Even a little child can do this. And to the Christian who's struggling where it feels like your relationship with God is up and down roller coaster, the reason why that's happening is because you think your relationship with God is based upon your righteousness. That's wrong. Your relationship with God is based on His righteousness. His righteousness. His righteousness. That He might be just and the justifier of Him who has faith in Him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for the greatness of this. And Lord, I pray that you'll take my effort to explain this and use it in a powerful way in people's lives. I pray for that person right now who's in this room, who came in unsure of their relationship with God. And if that's you, I want you to to respond in simple childlike faith to say thank you. God, thank you, Father. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus shall be saved. If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. It's that simple. And Lord, for the tired, weary saint who's been so frustrated with their own unrighteousness and difficulty, Lord, lift our eyes to remember, just like the priest Joshua, that we've been made clean. We are the righteousness of Christ because He was made sin that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. Thank You for this, Lord. And we give You praise and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the second half of a message I recently gave in my home church titled Justified Forever. I trust this message has been of great encouragement to you. Now, a clear biblical understanding of what the Bible says about justification brings great stability and maturity in our Christian lives. Thank you for listening. For more articles and much more grace-based teaching material, visit our website at dailyinchrist.org. That's dailyinchrist.org.